Cool. Well, um, I love that bumper video. Now I know what I'm preaching about. Um, I've been told that I have a great face for radio and a perfect voice for silent movies, so here I am. Um, we've been going through the series um, in Proverbs, asking for a friend, wise qu answers to tough questions. A few weeks ago, we had Josh, and he preached on work ethic and laziness. We've had um, Jonathan Garland with children and parenting. Cody last week with honesty and dishonesty. And this week, I am doing wealth and poverty. So um, one thing I want to say, which I'm going to steal this from Jonathan Garland because I really like it, is we have an ideal, right? God has given us in Scripture an ideal, something to look toward, something to follow, something to look at, and we pursue that. It's his idea for us to live by. So we have an ideal. So keep that in mind as I'm talking today. And then something else I want to mention, which everybody else talked on before, before today, is the book of Proverbs is a book of principles, not promises, right? It's a book of principles, not promises. So keep that in mind. So I'm talking about wealth and poverty, but first I want to understand God's ideal for us so we can help understand wealth and poverty. So what is a better place to begin than in Genesis? So I'll be in Genesis chapter one, um, verse 26. I think we have a, a slide for that. So starting in verse 26, we see, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree that with its seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So um, we see God's ideal. We have a, an idea what God wants from us when it comes to having dominion over the earth and over everything that has breath of life, every plant, every fish, every bird, every beast. He's given it to us so that we can subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Now, do you guys know why God created Adam first. To give him a chance to say something, that's beside the point. So, as we understand the ideal, we understand that this world... <laughs> Thank you. So, we have this ideal back on track. Now, that was just something I threw in there because I like saying dumb stuff. So, anyways, back on track. We have an ideal, right? We have something we're shooting for. God created the world. He created it perfect. We have something to shoot for. We have a purpose. We have a goal. We have what God wants. But the fall happened. Sin entered into the world. Something that was perfect is now tainted. The beauty of this world is now diminished. So now the act of cultivating, the act of keeping the earth, the dominion, the subduing of it, it's different now. The ideal has not been met and now creation is permanently marred. 
us as God's ambassadors, human beings are made to rule over every living thing on the earth. These commands are not, however, a mandate to exploit the earth and its creatures to satisfy human greed. That's not the point. For the fact that Adam and Eve were in the image of God implies God's expectation that human beings will use earth wisely and govern it with the same sense of responsibility and care that God has toward his whole creation. So us humans, we're not supposed to, the ideal isn't for us to exploit the earth. We're supposed to take stewardship of the earth. We're supposed to have responsibility. That's the ideal that God has for us. So now I'm gonna go to Genesis 3. And starting in verse 16, we're going to read about the fall. And this is the curse that God gave the serpent, gave the woman, and gave the man after the fall. Starting in 16, he says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And he said to Adam, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we see the effects of sin. Each of us has a curse because of sin. We are all affected by sin. This is, this is the problem. This is the dilemma. Sin is preventing us from reaching this ideal that God has for us. So once the joyful act of tending the land, now is a relentless battle. I kind of grew up in like, kind of all over the state, but I grew up in Kinney Lake, Alaska for a lot of my life. And up there, it's like a constant battle. When we moved there, for one, we had to haul water. So every week we're going to the fire station hauling water with a 500 gallon tank on a trailer in the back of your truck. The house we moved into was rough cut, two by four, Half of it was insulated. When we moved in, the plumbing was garden hoses. Our hot water heater, typically you have like two, you know, 110 you know, legs going to it to heat up your water. We only had one. So like there was tons of issues with it. The winter time would come around, you get 30, 40 below for a couple weeks at a time. Um, I remember like every weekend we'd have to chop firewood because we had two wood stoves going 24 seven and three Toyos in our house. It was rough. And it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you want to play on the weekends, but you just split firewood and cut firewood, and that's all you do. So that's kind of this battle, this relentless battle. We're just fighting to survive, fighting to stay warm. I'm sure you guys are in the same boat right now with the cold weather outside. You're just doing everything you can, this battle, just to stay warm, just to survive. This is by the, the sweat of your brow that is talking about. But it's not even just our physical realm that is diminished, Right? We have a spiritual problem too, a spiritual fall. You know, sin is a virus and it has taken over the earth. It's infected each and every heart of humanity. And what once God called very good is now tainted, it's diminished. It's not as God had in mind. The ideal is still not met. So God has this ideal for us, but sin is in the way. We have a point to pursue we understand what God wants from us, but we have something hindering us from reaching that ideal. You guys following? So I want us to understand this ideal in Genesis. Um, I really want to make this, this point clear, so pay attention. Um, what is in the Old Covenant, so the Old Testament, was law, right? They had to follow a certain law. 
but we are Christians of the new covenant and our new covenant is in faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So when I say we have this ideal, this you know, subduing and having dominion over the earth, that is not critical or necessary for our salvation. We are under the blood of Jesus. But I'm not discounting the old covenant and the old law. That's all very valuable for us to live by. We can learn about God's intention, God's heart, and what he desires from us. So keep that in mind as we're going through this and hearing about God's ideal. I want you guys to be sure that this ideal in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Context is not critical for your personal salvation. So we have this ideal, what God intends, right? And then there's a fall. People exploit the earth and the earth is not as it once was. We see it all throughout history. People exploiting and just destroying the planet. The Mongol Empire had around 160-year reign. In this 160-year reign, they killed at least 30 million people, with some accounts up to 70 million. Genghis Khan, within his reign, killed around 10% of the world's population. Think about that. That's messed up. That's the world that we live in. The Japanese Empire, they killed 8 million people through human experimentation, torture, famine, and slavery, all for thirst, for power, exploiting the earth. Maybe something a little more familiar, the Nazis. They killed around six million people, mainly Jews, with some accounts about five million non-Jews, which leaves us with 11 million people killed in four short years. Maybe something even more relevant, the war going on with Israel and Palestine. Every hour in Gaza, 15 people are killed. Six of those people are children. 35 people are injured. 42 bombs are dropped. 12 buildings are destroyed. And that has all happened since we've been here this morning. Think about that. This ideal that God has for us, we are far from it. The world we live in is broken and we can't fix it. We are infected, you and I are cursed with the disease and that disease is sin. The ideal is not met. So the problem is sin. Sin is the root of all the wrong that's in the world. It takes on so many different faces. Sometimes it's the pride that causes the very first humans to betray their perfect God. Sometimes it's jealousy that causes the first brother to kill another brother, making the first physical death. So when we look at the world around us, we ask all these questions like, why are these nations just completely obliterating all these other nations? Why do we see all this death? Why do we see this poverty? Why is there a spectrum of wealth and poverty? Why is there this divide? God, what do you want from us in this shattered world? What do we do? We know what the expectation is. We know we don't make it. We don't fit that ideal, but what do we do? These are the questions that we ask when we look at the world around us. But I want to assure you that there is hope. The verse I'm using today out of Proverbs is Proverbs 22.2. Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord makes them all. To have this in common is literally to meet or intersect, meaning that there is no class structure in God's eyes. So 
despite the spectrum, despite the, the wealth, the poverty, the, the, the wealthy nations that are just completely devastating, the, the poorer nations, despite the spectrum, despite this divide, that doesn't make me or you or them more or less God's child. That's hope, guys. Whatever end of the spectrum, we are not more or less God's child. We are all broken people living in a broken world with other broken people, and we all need grace. This truth gives us hope. So regardless of the evil that surrounds us and impacts all of us, we have hope. The blatant injustices that we witness cannot and will not ever separate us from the love of God. Despite the green chaos that pervades this world, hope prevails. Even in the face of poverty and the presence of the selfish rich, hope remains. With God, hope is always present. The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. We all have hope. God made us all. So, as I was making this message, I was trying to decide, like, how do I talk about wealth and poverty? There's so many different nuances you can take on it, right? I mean, you can ask, well, why does evil exist if there's a good God? And then, you know, you can ask about what is wealth? Is it a spiritual thing? Is it a physical thing? Is it both? What's the difference? You can take this anyway. Like, you can talk about 100 sermons all about wealth and poverty. But I wanted to keep it very simple, very to the point, and how we should live today. So I'm going to try to answer three different questions when it comes to wealth and poverty. First question is, does God prefer me to be rich? Is that what I should be aiming for? Does God want me to be rich? The second question is, well, does God prefer me to be poor? We know that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Maybe that's what God wants of me to be poor. Or maybe I should just play it safe and stay right in the middle in the sweet spot. Not rich, not poor, but right in the middle. So what do we do about this? How do we answer these questions? I think the best way we start to answer these questions is to understand what is stewardship. That was a part of God's ideal was stewardship. We were told to have dominion and subdue and, and fill the earth and to cultivate and to keep it and to have every plant and every bird and everything that has the breath of life. We're told to have some uh, dominion over that and have stewardship. So let's first define what stewardship is. A biblical definition of stewardship would be Stewardship is about exercising our God-given dominion over his creation, reflecting the image of our creator God in his care, responsibility, maintenance, protection, and beautification of his creation. So this is a really, I love this definition for stewardship. This really encompasses what Adam and Eve are told to do and also what we're told to do. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. We understand that a part of God's ideal is stewardship. And I think this really fits the definition of what stewardship is. So we understand what God desires of us, his ideal for stewardship. And we notice that the heart of stewardship in Genesis really translates well into the New Testament. So um, this concept is very critical for understanding the topic of wealth and poverty today. So now, as we think about this idea of stewardship, um, we need to understand that stewardship, it means that how do I say this? I guess the best way to say this would be is when you have stewardship over something, it's because someone gave it to you, right? Like you have a job, you, you, you have a position, you are given that job and you are told to be a good steward for what you're supposed to do. So you have X, Y, and Z tasks, you're supposed to do that task. Um, you bought a house, there was an exchange made and it was given to you. And then you're supposed to be a good steward of that house, 
right? Um, your life was given to you. You're supposed to be a good steward of your life. So everything that revolves around stewardship has been given to you in one sense or another. And if you break it down, everything that you have is a gift from God. Your very life is a gift from God. Your very job is a gift from God. Every good thing is from God, right? So like you've been given something, so we need to understand that it's not technically our own. It's a gift. It is because of what we, we presently possess in Christ that our mindset about our time, talent, and treasure should be different from those whose understanding is still darkened. The mindset or worldview, which much be nurtured, includes how we live, how we view our purpose in this world to glorify God, our priorities to do the will of God, and our earthly possessions provided by God for the enjoyment as we do his will. When our attitude toward what God has entrusted to us is characterized by mine, 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 or me, 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 it is indicative of her fallen nature and the darkened understanding of this present age. That self-centered worldview is contrary to what we are in Christ. Stewardship and all of life rests on the knowledge that we are and all we have has been given to us by God through Christ and belongs to God. We are therefore under his lordship. Laziness and selfishness are acts of ingratitude and betrayal towards God, and they portray a lack of trust in the very God who has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We need to understand that everything we have is a gift from God, and you are responsible for that gift. That is critical to today's message and critical to stewardship. It is a gift from God. The Lord is the maker of us all. It is our responsibility to be good stewards. We need to understand that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It does not belong to us in the first place. So it really doesn't matter if we're rich or poor, if we're gifted or not gifted, we're talented or not so talented. That's not really a point of wealth and poverty because no matter what we have, that's a gift from God. So to be saying like, well, I'm, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have X, Y, and Z. Well, what you do have is a gift and you are supposed to be a steward of that gift. So don't get wrapped up thinking what I don't have, start thinking about what you do have. Um, Matthew 25 is a really good passage. I'm gonna read it to you. Um, it's talking about the master who entrusted his servants with a certain amount of talents or money, and he went on a trip. So Matthew 25, 14 through 30, I think I have a slide for that. Um, follow along in your own Bibles or up on the screen. Starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So he, so also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. And his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you, then you ought to have invested my, my, my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a story. But I want to encourage you that we are all in this together. We're in the same boat. We've each been entrusted a certain quantity a certain amount, and it is our responsibility to manage it to the best of our abilities, right? You see that we are servants who follow Christ and he has put things into our life, X amount of this, X amount of that, and it's our charge. We're supposed to be in charge of it. It's our responsibility. You each have a certain amount and it is your job to be responsible with it. So does God prefer me to be rich? Is that his intention for me? I don't think that's his intention. That's not the point. But I think the point is, if he's given you a lot or given you the means to increase your talents, so to speak, and produce more for his glory, then go ahead, do that. I encourage you to do that. Your role is to use your wealth for his glory. Be generous to the poor, help others with your resources. Go and do that. Even the apostle Paul, he had people supporting him in his ministry. You look at the book of Philippians. That's basically a thank you letter to a church has been supporting him. So if God has given you the means to use your wealth, to use your talents, to use your abilities for more to increase, then do that. That is your role. But I will warn you, be careful. Use temporal things, but desire eternal things. Don't get caught up in it. Realize it's been entrusted to you. It has a purpose, it has a point, and use it for its intended goal. Don't make it all about itself. That's why I want to leave with you on that. So does God prefer me to be poor? I don't think so either. I think he wants you to use what you have for his glory, just like the rich person. Maybe less money, but you're still God's child. Maybe a lot of money, you're still God's child. That doesn't change. What you've been given, be faithful with it. Be generous. No matter if you're rich or you're poor or in the middle, be generous with what you have. Be a good steward and be generous with your resources. So either boat, don't be stingy. Now, how about the person who thinks he's in the sweet spot, right in the middle? You know, I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not poor. I don't need to worry about that. How about that? Well, God is not a communist God. I don't think he wants you to stay where you're at because that's your lot in life. He's given you something. We look at the servant who received one talent and he went and buried it in the ground. It didn't really go over well for him. Don't be the person who just hides what he's been given. 
I think our goal is to increase what God has given us for his glory. Always remember that you work for Jesus and he's your master. So do whatever you do for the glory of God. Give him your best and aim to improve. Use what you have for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom, something beyond yourself. So different amounts, though all very large, were given to each servant, right? According to their own ability. And the return expected was in proportion to the sum entrusted. It is significant that the two successful servants receive identical praise from the master, even though the scale of their original responsibility and therefore of their achievement is different. But to have a lesser gift does not excuse us from appropriate effort. The fault of the third servant was not that he did not recognize his master's intention and opted for safety instead of service. He was hoping to avoid doing anything wrong. And what he did is he ended up doing nothing right. Think about that. Don't be safe because you don't want to mess it up. If God's given you something, do something right. Whatever God makes, he owns. What we own, we own as stewards who've been given gifts from God himself. God has the ultimate ownership of all our possessions. He has loaned these things to us and expects us to manage them in a way that will honor and glorify him. God desires all of us, us believers, to be responsible of what he's been given to, given to us. We are made in his image and entrusted with his material possessions. Proverbs teaches us that God is more interested in our attitudes and actions towards our resources rather than the quantity that we possess. Our focus should be on multiplying and using our resources for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. He's more concerned about our hearts, not how much we have. As I was working on this message, I was thinking about our offering statement that we, we say every week. And I think that really encompasses who we are as a church. It's a phrase, a, a kind of like a stanza that we read every week. And it's kind of bringing us all together, all on the same page. Like, this is our focus. This is what we're about. This is who we are. This is who Church on the Rock Talkeetna is. So I thought it'd be fitting if we read that together. So if you guys would stand up, please, and we'll go through our offering statement here. As we gather together as God's family, we come with a purpose to invest in God's work and to invest in God's people. As he has been generous to us, we will be generous in his kingdom and with his people. Our time is his, our resources are his, our hearts are his, our lives are his. For his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You guys can take a seat. So you guys may be in a season right now where you have a lot of time. Go and invest that time into something eternal. You may have a really good job. Use that income and steward it well for something beyond yourself. You may be in a place of leadership. Use your position of authority for the glory of God. A lot of you guys have kids. Spend time with them. They're valuable. They're important. You won't have that time forever. They're a blessing. You guys are all very talented, very gifted. Use that for the advancement of the kingdom. You guys have all been given something. Use it. 
If God is calling you to let go of something, let go with a servant's heart. If God is nudging you into something new, be encouraged that he is with you every step of the way. Whatever you have, use that as leveraged for the kingdom. It doesn't matter what we have, but that we steward well with what we've been entrusted. We are made more than this earth. We're made for so much more than this. The rich and poor, there's no class structure in God's eyes. It's not really about the, the wealthy and the, and the impoverished. It's about what we have and what we're using with it. We can really get caught up in the weeds of, oh, if I had this, oh, if I had that, oh, why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? We can really get lost in that mindset. Don't get lost in the mindset. Realize what you have and use that for the glory of God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Keep that in mind as you live your life. So if he's given you something new that you don't want to take it, don't fail to do anything right. Don't be that servant with the one talent who hit it in the ground. If you've been given a lot, use that. You're accountable for that. He's given it to you to be a good steward of it. If he's given you a little, use that a little for the kingdom. Use it. It's yours to be a good steward of and to multiply for something beyond yourself. Look what's in your hand. What do you have? That's been a gift from God. And if you make an excuse, well, I don't have anything in my hands. Well, remember you have hands. <laughs> Use that for the glory of God. Go and be good stewards and multiply what you have in something greater than yourself. Our high and privileged calling is to do the will of God and the power of God for the glory of God. God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We can use what we have for his glory or we can waste it to our own demise. The rich and the poor and everyone in between, use what you have and be a good steward with what God has entrusted you. Thank you.